Welcome back, Hemming Brainiacs, to the Hemming Brainiac List podcast, the best podcast ever. We're talking about Of Human Bondage, Chapter 22. Philip is happy. Wow. And thirsty. Also wow. And how do you pronounce that bloody name? I am Norwegian said, I have no idea what these people are like yet, but at least they seem nice. A much nicer variety of people too. <laughs> In response to my second discussion prompt, saying that Philip is thirsty, um, you've just done that kind of, what is that emoji? The thirsty guy emoji? What happens if I Google search that emoji? I wonder if it comes up with a name for it. Lenny. The Lenny face. Is an emoticon used to suggest a mischievous mood, imply sexual innuendo, or spam online discussions? Well, Lenny Face. There you go. Everything's got a bloody name. Good use of the Lenny Face. Um, and the third discussion prompt. What was my third discussion prompt again? How do you pronounce the bloody name? You just pronounce it as if you were deaf. Hilarious. <laughs> I'm not. I don't say things like I'm deaf. Unless you're talking about one of those German names, then I have no idea. The name I was trying to pronounce was the one that was like uh, Cecily or something like that. I can't remember. Uh, Laura Weistich said, they do seem like interesting people. I'm looking forward to hearing more about them. I love that Philip has never been around girls before. He's literally never had a conversation with a girl. That's pretty crazy to think because he's like a, pretty much a young man. He's never even had a conversation with a girl. Wouldn't he be like extremely shy if that was the case? He doesn't seem too shy. Entropa said, yeah, that name threw me too. Professor Google to the rescue. Oh, very nice. Hopefully that link works. Here we go. Cecily. 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 Easy. Cecily. Never heard of that name before, but very cool. Thanks for that, Entrepper. Yes, Philip is happy. I will sleep well tonight. Ha. Yeah. Good old Philip. It's good to see him have some good luck for once. Um. All right, let's read a chapter. That's the whole discussion for today. Short and sweet. Don't forget, you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash the Hemingway list. If you want. If you want. All right, this is chapter 23, XX111. goes like this. Philip thought occasionally of the king's school at Turkenbury and laughed to himself as he remembered what, at some particular moment of the day, they were doing. Now and then he dreamed that he was still there, and it gave him an extraordinary satisfaction on awaking to realise that he was in his little room in the turret. From his bed he could see the great cumulus clouds that hung in the blue sky. He reveled in his freedom. He could go to bed when he chose and get up when the fancy took him. There was no one to order him about. It struck him that they, that he need not tell any more lies. It had been arranged that, pres, that Professor Erlin should teach him Latin and German. A Frenchman came every day to give him lessons in French and the Frau Professor had recommended for mathematics an Englishman who was taking a philological degree at the university. This was a man named Wharton. Philip went to him every morning. He lived in one room on the top floor of a shabby house. 
It was dirty and untidy, and it was filled with a pungent odour made up of many different stinks. He was generally in bed when Philip arrived at ten o'clock, and he jumped out, put on a filthy dressing gown and felt slippers, and while he gave instruction, ate his simple breakfast. He was a short man, stout from excessive beer drinking, with a heavy moustache and long, unkempt hair. He had been in Germany for five years, and was become very Teutonic. Teutonic. What on earth does Teutonic mean? Teutonic. Relating to the Teutons. Well, that doesn't bloody help. Teuton is a member of the people who lived in Jutland in the 4th century BC and fought the Romans in France in the 2nd century. Alright. I still don't know what that means. He spoke with scorn of Cambridge, where he had taken his degree, and with horror of the life which awaited him when, having taken his doctorate in Heidelberg, he must return to England and a pedagogic career. He adored the life of the German university with its happy freedom and its jolly companionships. He was a member of the Burschenschaft and promised to take Philip to a Kniep. He was very poor and made no secret that he that the lessons he was giving Philip meant the difference between meat for his dinner and bread and cheese. Sometimes, after a heavy night, he had such a headache that he could not drink his coffee, and he gave his lesson with heaviness of spirit. For these occasions, he kept a few bottles of beer under the bed, and one of these and a pipe would help him to bear the burden of life. A hair of the dog that bit him, he would say as he poured out the beer carefully so that the foam should not make him wait too long to drink. Then he would talk to Philip of the university, the quarrels between between rival cause, cause, the duels, and the merits of this and that professor. Philip learnt more of life from him than of mathematics. Sometimes Wharton would sit back with a laugh and say, Look here, we've not done anything today. You needn't pay me for the lesson. Oh, it doesn't matter, said Philip. This was something new and very interesting, and he felt that it was of greater importance than trigonometry, which he never could understand. It was like a window on life that he had a chance of peeping through, and he looked with a wildly beating heart. No, you can't keep your... No, you can keep your dirty money, said Wharton. But how about your dinner, said Philip with a smile, for he knew exactly how his master's finances stood. Wharton had even asked him to pay him the two shillings which the lesson cost once a week, rather than once a month, since it made things less complicated. Oh, never mind my dinner... It won't be the first time I've dined off a bottle of beer, and my mind's never clearer than when I do. He dived under the bed. The sheets were grey, with want of washing, and fished out another bottle. Philip was young, and did not know the good things of life. Refused to share it with him, so he drank alone. How long are you going to stay here? asked Wharton. Both he and Philip had given up with relief the pretense of mathematics. Oh, I don't know, I suppose about a year. Then my people want me to go to Oxford. Wharton gave a contemptuous shrug of the shoulders. It was a new experience for Philip to learn that there were persons who did not look upon that seat of learning with awe. What do you want to go there for? You'll only be a glorified schoolboy. Why don't you matriculate here? 
A year is no good. Spend five years here. You know, there are two good things in life. Freedom of thought and freedom of action. In France, you get freedom of action. You can do what you like and nobody bothers. But you must think like everybody else. In Germany, you must do what everybody else does. But you may think as you choose. They are both very good things. I personally prefer freedom of thought. But in England, you get neither. You're ground down by convention. You can't think as you like and you can't act as you like. That's because it's a democratic nation. I expect, America, I expect America's worse. He leaned back cautiously, for the chair on which he sat had a rickety leg, and it was disconcerting when a rhetorical flourish was interrupted by a sudden fall to the floor. I ought to go back to England this year, but I, if I can scrape together enough to keep body and soul on speaking terms, I shall stay another twelve months, but then I shall have to go. And I must leave all this, he waved his arm around, the dirty garret, with its unmade bed, the clothes lying on the floor, a row of empty beer bottles against the wall, piles of unbound ragged books in every corner, for some provincial university where I shall try and get a chair of philology, and I shall play tennis and go to tea parties. He interrupted himself and gave Philip, very neatly dressed with a clean collar on and his hair well brushed, a quizzical look, and, my God, I shall have to wash. Philip reddened, feeling this his own spruceness an intolerable reproach, for of late he had begun to pay some attention to his toilet, and he had come out from England with a pretty selection of ties. The summer came upon the country like a conqueror, each day was beautiful, the sky had an arrogant blue which goaded the nerves like a spur, the green of the trees in the analage was violent and crude, and the houses, when the sun caught them, had a dazzling white which stimulated till it hurt. Sometimes, on his way back from Wharton, Philip would sit in the shade of one of those on one of the benches in the Analage, enjoying the coolness and watching the patterns of light which the sun, shining through the leaves, made on the ground. His soul danced with delight as gaily as the sunbeams. He reveled in those moments of idleness stolen from his work. Sometimes he sauntered through the streets of the old town. He looked with awe at the students of the corps, their cheeks gashed and red, who swaggered about in their coloured caps. In the afternoons he wandered about the hills with the girls in the Frau Professor's house, and sometimes they went up the river and had tea in a leafy beer garden. In the evenings they walked round and round the Stadtgarten, listening to the band. Philip soon learned the various interests of the household. Fräulein Thekler, the professor's elder daughter, was engaged to a man in England who had spent twelve months in the house to learn German, and their marriage was to take place at the end of the year, but the young man wrote that his father, an India rubber merchant who lived in Slough, did not approve of the union, and Fräulein Thekla was often in tears. Sometimes she and her mother might be seen with stern eyes and determined mouths, looking over the letters of the reluctant lover. Thekla painted in watercolour, and occasionally she and Philip, with another of the girls to keep them company, would go out and paint little pictures. The pretty Fräulein Hedwig, amorous troubles too. She was the daughter of a merchant in Berlin, 
and a dashing hussar had fallen in love with her, a von, if you please, but his parents opposed a marriage with a person of her condition, and she had been sent to Heidelberg to forget him. She could never, never do this, and corresponded with him continually, and he was making every effort to include an exasperating father, to induce an exasperating father to change his mind. She told all this to Philip, with pretty sighs and becoming blushes, and showed him the photograph of the gay lieutenant. Philip liked her best of all, and the girls at. Philip liked her best of all the girls at the Frau Professor's, and on their walks always tried to get by her side. He blushed a great deal when the others chafed him for his obvious preference. He made the first declaration in his life to Fraulein Hedwig, but unfortunately it was an accident, and it happened in this manner. In the evenings when they did not go out, the young women sang little songs in the green velvet drawing room, while Fraulein Anna, who always made herself useful, industriously accompanied Fraulein Hedwig's favourite song was called Ich liebe dich, I love you, and one evening, after she had sung this, when Philip was standing with her on the balcony looking at the stars, it occurred to him to make some remark about it. He began, Ich liebe dich. His German was halting, and he looked about for the word he wanted. The pause was infinitesimal. Before he could go on, Fraulein Hedwig said, Ach, her carry seems in mir nicht du sagen. You mustn't talk to me in the second person singular. Philip felt himself grow hot all over, for he would never have dared to do anything so familiar that he could think of nothing on earth to say. It would be ungallant to explain that he was not making an observation, but merely mentioning the title of a song. Entschuldigen Sie, he said, I beg your pardon. It does not matter, she whispered. She smiled pleasantly, quietly took his hand and pressed it, then turned back into the drawing room. Next day he was so embarrassed that he could not speak to her, and, in his shyness, did all that was possible to avoid her. When he was asked to go for the usual walk, he refused, because, he said, he had work to do. But Fraulein Hedwig seized an opportunity to speak to him alone. Why are you behaving in this way? she said, kindly. You know I'm not angry with you for what you said last night. You can't help it if you love me. I'm flattered. But although I'm not exactly engaged to Herman, I can never love anyone else, and I look upon myself as his bride. Philip blushed again, but he put on quite the expression of a rejected lover. I hope you'll be very happy, he said. All right, there we go. There's another chapter down for you. Oops, Philip, you done messed up. Silly Duffer. Have your say about that Silly Duffer chapter over at the subreddit. Thanks very much for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.